Hello and welcome to Stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veera Season 2. Today's episode is partnered by Perpetual Buzz Experiences. They are an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals. They're the launchpad for artists, helping them leverage success in the best possible manner. They also help fund social causes and make sure that people have a great time throughout the process. So be sure to check them out on www.perpetualbuzz.com. I'm happy to let you all know that Stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veera has won the coveted title of Best Interview Podcast of 2023 at the prestigious Hub Hopper Podcast Awards. And I'd like to thank everyone who's been watching the show regularly and being of great support. If you haven't subscribed to my channel, go for it. The Symphony Orchestra of India, SOI, is set to embark on an eight-concert UK tour starting on the 29th of November featuring the UK premiere of Zakir Hussain's Triple Concerto in London, Birmingham and Edinburgh. After a successful autumn 2023 season in Mumbai, the 17-year-old orchestra under music director Marit will showcase its classical prowess and especially commissioned piece blending South Asian and Western traditions. The tour spans seven cities following a year of milestones for SOI, including performances with Zubin Mehta, and a well-received autumn season. The UK tour schedule includes Coventry, London, Birmingham, Bradford, Edinburgh, Croydon, and Cambridge. 2023 is quite exciting in terms of music festivals and concerts happening in India, and we are witnessing several many international acts coming down to our country. And I'd like to give a very special shout-out to the Lollapalooza Festival that unveiled their show dates and they are happening on the 27th and 28th of January 2024 at the Mahalakshmi Racecourse in Mumbai. And they have such an incredible lineup ranging from Sting to Jonas Brothers and local acts like Jatayu. We have the Chennai Boys, uh, Scrat, and we have Jay Babe from Chennai again. It's, it's so incredible to watch a culmination of uh, so many different artists in one festival. So be sure to grab your tickets on lalaindia.com and the details are in the description. Guitar virtuoso Steve Vai is also coming down to India and he'll be doing a three-city tour in Mumbai, Bengaluru and Kolkata on the 6th, 8th and 9th of December 2023 for the Livebox Festival. Ticket details are on my description and you can find the tickets on skillboxes.com. Book My Show is set to launch the Bandland Festival, which is a two-day music affair and a cultural festival uh, happening in Bengaluru, celebrating the city's vibrant music scene. It's being headlined by iconic bands like Deep Purple and the Goo Goo Dolls. The event features a diverse lineup of international and Indian artists. The festival aims to revive Bengaluru's status as India's rock music capital, showcasing legendary and em emerging talents. Attendees can expect a unique experience with multiple stages, art installations, fusion cuisines, and mixology under Bengaluru skies. But my show aims to make Bandland a recurring festival, celebrating the cultural richness and vibrancy of Bengaluru. Tickets went on sale from the 26th of October for their debut edition that's set to take place on December 16th and 17th, and it promises to be a memorable musical extravaganza. Find the ticket details 
in my description. Speaking of my guest today, she's an award-winning vocalist and veena player. I'm talking about Kavita Jairaman, who is also a passionate analyst, performer, teacher, and curator, and she regularly performs in the USA and India. Kavita is equally passionate about arts and philanthropy, and she has actively advocated giving back through her art initiatives. She's currently a voting member of the Recording Academy, one of the few Indian classical musicians on this prestigious panel. She is a graduate in accounting and financial management from Mumbai University, and Kavita is currently pursuing a master's in music business from the prestigious Berkeley College of Music. She was selected as an Indian Raga USA Fellow in the year 2018, and Kavita has been part of 15 online collaborations with global artists and over 1 million views on YouTube and Facebook. She's a lady indeed of many hats. So without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guest for today, Kavita Jairaman. Hi, everyone. This is Kavita Jairaman. I'm a musician, uh, an educator, and a philanthropist. I'm so excited to be on this podcast, uh, Stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veda. Looking forward to this conversation. Hi, Kavita. Very big namaskaram to you. Welcome to Stalwarts of Music. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Aditya. Namaskarams to you too. It's been uh, very exciting to uh, chat to you over the last few weeks leading up to this. And I'm very excited to talk to you on the show today. Before we get started, did you have a good Diwali? How, how, how did you go about Diwali this year? Well, Diwali was good. Uh, we We had... So what happens is the the place that I live in, South Florida, is mm-hmm. uh, doesn't have a huge Indian community, but okay. it's been growing over the years. All right. Which means, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're getting to do multiple get-togethers with people in the area. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. Diwali started pretty early, as soon as uh, November began, and uh, the partying ended last night. And uh, we're able to do some fireworks here, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is I think good because I've been a huge fireworks person since I was young growing up in Mumbai. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I've heard a lot has changed in India now, okay. but uh, it was good. It was it was good celebrations with friends. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't have family here, but uh, friends have become family over the years. So it's good to be with people that you know you love and uh, you want to hang around with. So was there? How was among... your How was your Diwali? My Diwali was all right. Uh, I, I didn't celebrate this year because I lost my grandpa uh, last week. Oh, okay. So, okay. So we're not celebrating this year, but uh, I'm 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 so glad to be doing a bunch of interviews and and you know being productive uh, during uh, Diwali for a change. You know. <laughs> so that's that's uh, good. That's good. I know it's always good to have work to do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, been doing back to back interviews for the past four days. Yesterday is. Oh, that's G- nice. I spoke. I spoke to this lady called Jane uh, Monheit, who is a jazz singer. She's coming oh, down. Wow. She's coming down to India on twenty uh, sixth of November. She's playing at NCPA Mumbai. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. And okay. Very interesting. To, I'll be talking to guitar virtuoso Neil Morse tomorrow. Another wow. exciting interview. So yeah, it's just uh, three different distinguished guests from three different realms. You're a Carnatic musician. <laughs> one jazz singer and then there's a rock uh, uh, guitar awesome. player so yeah best of uh, music yeah. nice i envy you 
But awesome. it's good. It's good. If you like music, it's always good to be around people who talk music. What else do you want, right? Of course, of course. So, as part of our agenda today, I have a couple of very interesting questions coming your way. Can mm-hmm. we get started? Sure. Let's go. All right. Do you find sometimes that you're a shy and reticent personality, which is at odds with the dominant culture of music today, where people feel the need to project themselves and be aggressive about their art? <laughs> a great question aditya i think i've learned to overcome that over the years i started out as being very shy uh <clears throat> you know I've, i've always music has always been a huge part of my life right so uh, i was not shy in terms of having stage fear because mm-hmm. i was you know pretty confident when i was on stage since i was very young okay but i think uh, it's just that putting yourself out there is not how uh, carnatic musicians are trained <laughs> sure. you know you're trained to have a very solid foundation and uh, you are only um, i should say allowed to go on stage if i may uh, till you have you know a certain kind of uh, talim like how you say in hindi right so yeah. uh, it, that i think that kind of makes you inherently a bit um, uh you know not not very confident i would say just to project yourself not in terms of the performance but in just okay. in terms of projection yeah so i think that's something i have had to learn over the years especially being on social media and you know just putting yourself out there yeah. uh, i was not very confident talking about me and my music <laughs> initially though i've done so much over the years but it's only recently that i you know started getting on to this uh, social media bandwagon mm interesting how you've been able to adapt and uh, get accustomed to the new trends uh, you know yes. speaking of social media and how you've sort of uh, you know groomed yourself uh, given the experience mm-hmm. that you've had at berkeley and other places uh, to sort of right. you know project yourself in a very very professional way yeah so right i think I it's important right and yeah. yeah i think in today's world yeah. um, it's very important Yeah. Uh, for you to be uh, projecting what you're doing because right. there are so many people out there doing what i'm doing so yeah. Yeah. uh if i'm not there there is no way people are going to know what mm-hmm. i do like i yeah. i myself have so many of my school friends had no idea i was into music so much because <laughs> i never spoke about it yeah. or i mean they knew i was into music i mean i always was singing and doing things like that but uh i don't think anybody realized that i was uh you know pursuing two professions parallelly all my mm-hmm. life Yeah. Incredible. That's because I never spoke about the music. I always spoke about what I did at work, which was non-music, but never about the yeah. or maybe very little about the music aspect of it. So, it came as a surprise to many that uh and I didn't know I even played the instrument for a long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to the music aspect of it. So, could you tell me and our listeners as to what is the kind of tradition in terms of the form, the strand, the heritage? the kind of music that you embody and what is it called what is its form and what are the characteristics of the music that you embody sure so the art form that i practice uh and perform is called as carnatic music yeah so carnatic there are in india predominantly you'll find two different forms of classical music mm-hmm. one that is prevalent in the north mm-hmm. uh, which is called hindustani and okay. the one that i practice and perform which is uh, carnatic music okay both have very strong roots 
and you know date back to thousands of years in terms of uh, how the music has evolved mm-hmm. and they have they both of them are uh, <clears throat> you know deep rooted in their grammar of okay. how music understanding has to you know how how an audience or a learner has to actually understand and interpret the art form so anybody that has had training in any of these art forms i would say has a very solid foundation mm. to just pick up the grammar and then move on and you know do whatever they want to because it gives you a very solid and thorough foundation in terms of origin i think uh, hindustani the way hindustani has blended uh, you know it's it's <clears throat> how how it has amalgamated into the indian music world is just that uh, you know we have had a lot of uh, arabian influences uh, yeah. in the country including invaders right so yeah, yeah. they brought a lot of the instruments and the music into the north and you actually can clearly see the divide of how most of the rulers that kind of penetrated into india yeah. almost stopped at uh, you know the the midline mm. and there were very few who reached the south okay so carnatic music always had deep roots in the south it originated okay. there and uh, it stayed there so uh, a lot of invaders who basically brought their music um you know there were very few i uh, probably like tipu sultan was the only one i know that he even crossed the south of india so uh, there are very few uh, non carnatic influences in the south even today mm-hmm. and that's predominantly because of that okay and uh, somehow i i think with music india has a midline <laughs> mm. the you know carnatic has not crossed the midline much mm. and the hindustani has not penetrated much in the south i mean west is a different scene altogether because of bombay Yeah. and maharashtra but other than that in the typically four states that we know tamil nadu you know uh, kerala karnataka andhra you predominantly you will find people practicing carnatic music why is that why haven't we able, able to sort of diversify all over i just think i just think i think it's happening now because mm-hmm. of the exposure Yeah. but if you if you see how uh, artists have performed or you know what was the what was the way that one could reach out right it was yeah. only through live performances radio came in much later okay if you if you just basically look at the history of music of how you know people listen to music or even yeah. Yeah. Uh, got themselves accustomed to it it was through live performances mm-hmm. so uh, india maybe 2 300 400 years ago people were not traveling as much Okay. So you basically uh, listen to whatever music was playing around in your area. Right. If you lived in the north, you listen to more of the thumris and the khayals, and you know, if you if you yeah. are in anywhere in the loop, you feel like now India, you would have listened to a lot more of the yeah. Hindustani structure than the Carnatic. So what has happened is it's only in the last probably I would say thirty forty years max that people have started traveling cross country. to bring the art form to various places where it has not been performed okay maybe in the 70s or in the 80s is probably i should say where it really started mm. right so now you have a lot of these uh, artists who play in uh, even festivals like zero right so yeah 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 so i i think that is one of the main reasons that uh, they've they probably not had a chance to listen to live and develop a taste over the years Yeah. obviously with the invent of radio and then television and then satellite you know uh, how india has evolved is basically yeah. i'm just talking with reference to india so how india has evolved i think that's uh, 
they have they've started getting themselves accustomed and you know listen to more of other genres from other than from where they are basically mm. you did the interesting you mentioned the fact that india has evolved right so can you provide yeah. examples of specific instances where carnatic music has evolved or adapted to say the more contemporary uh, musical forms without compromising its core principles Sure, sure. No, I think a lot of uh, the new age uh, musicians, right, including uh, the current performers, uh, say Ranjini Gayatri, or even uh, you know Padma Bhushan, uh, Shrimati Sudharaganathan, yeah. most of them have uh, you know they they basically I should say they broke the CD market, so to say. Mm. You know, yeah. Carnatic music uh, was relatively unheard on CDs or uh, discs at one point in time. but okay. i think a lot of musicians that generation i think broke that mold and that basically meant that uh, a lot of music could be heard in the purest form mm. by many people who just walk across to a music store uh, and pick yeah. up you know these these albums which are displayed along with uh, anything else that you wanted to listen to like i mean i'm sure in the 90s if, if india was big on music store in the 90s i, I don't think it's 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 that prevalent now right the concept of having a music store yeah. people have gone digital now but in that times if you could walk across a music store you would actually find uh, say a band like euphoria mm. uh, playing yeah. along with uh, even michael jackson and then you could pick a sudharaganathan album or uh, you yeah. know somebody in from the contemporary and then you have shubham mudgal who made mm. such an amazing you know uh, uh, transition from presenting indian classical music to an audience which never listened to any classical music in that mm. era mm. so i think there are a lot of uh, you should we have to give credit to musicians um, in the 90s who really created yeah. that path yeah and uh, many many people uh, including like i grew up in mumbai so yeah. which is uh, you know which a very cosmopolitan community though you have yeah. a huge 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 uh, south indian uh, population living there but mm. uh, i think a lot of them got accustomed to uh, listening to many indian classical musicians performing the non indian genre even somebody like you know zakir ji yeah. uh, rakesh chaurasia all of them all of them i think they have they are the pioneers of breaking the mold mm. uh, in in classical music and just bringing it out of the you know the standard structure and saying hey you know what come listen to us how can we forget uh, ravi shankar ji right yeah of course i mean is a global sensation any exactly. any musician any musician i've spoken to they know right. they they know pandit ravi shankar ji for sure everybody yeah. knows ravi shankar yeah. ji everybody yeah. trust yeah. me on this in the west yeah. he is omnipresent yeah and speaking of the 90s i think you forgot uh, you, you you spoke of mumbai i think you forgot colonial cousins they were they were quite oh, massive oh yes oh yeah. my goodness cool i yeah. that was my first yeah. musical album crush if i may Yeah yeah <laughs> Leslie Lewis and Hari Haran ji were so amazing and yeah. uh, I I remember well you brought up Colonial Cousins I have to tell you this so the the main song on Colonial Cousins is mm-hmm. uh, if you remember it was Sanira Pamaga Mandari so this kind of melody stuck in my head for a long time mm-hmm. and maybe I was 10 or 11 when oh, I think wow. the album released yeah. and okay. uh, at that time i didn't i didn't i had not started learning the instrument yet mm. so to me deciphering tunes was always with swarams okay. if you are any instrumentalist what you would do is if you hear a tune you just play it 
and then you know you know what the tune is if you if you learn a guitar or a piano or any other instrument for that matter yeah. but for me as a vocalist everything would translate to swarams <laughs> mm. so at at one point i started questioning why did they name the song sani dha pa maga maga risa though yeah. the actual notes are not that mm. so it was actually gama ga sani dha ni dha pa sa that's the mm. actual note of sani dha pa maga maga risa but i think instead of calling that song as gama ga sani dha ni dha pa sa which probably might not sit well with non classical audiences i think it was a master stroke by them Yeah. to just change juxtapose that uh, swarams and call it sani dhapa maga maga risa which really resonated so well with people that had no idea what uh, you know sani dhapa maga risa is but they just kept humming it over and over again so i think it was it was amazing for uh, for somebody in that age yeah. to actually bring out classical music that way yeah especially their mtv unplugged uh, oh yes oh yes <laughs> yes i remember them we had them yeah. perform live uh, later yeah. at a college in fact even uh, shankar mahadevan ji right with his first album breathless yeah, yeah. i remember breathless was oh my goodness it, it breathless to me was carnatic music genius mm. because he had if you should go back and listen to breathless because each and every song on breathless yeah. has an emotion lyrically it's amazing okay A, but just the way the album is composed right i mean yeah. it's it's actually a story the entire album of i think seven or eight songs i don't remember how many now but the entire album is a story like the boy meeting a girl falling in love and then yeah. you know getting deeper into love and then having a heartbreak and kind of resonating it and each song has been uh, you know uh, composed so well using ragams that uh, that resonate with that emotion so breathless for example is in this ragam called kalyani or yaman which is okay. a very peppy ragam okay so when you open an album with that such a peppy number it really shows how happy and elevated you are in terms of mood mm-hmm. and then the album really brings you down you know over by the time the album ends you feel very heavy inside yeah yeah <laughs> i feel when there's this whole aspect of a narrative involved yes. in an album uh, with like a sequence and you know the mm-hmm. whole whole ide- ideology behind it it's just incredible to sort of you know learn more and understand like you know you've already given us a gist of the encyclopedia that you are you know in terms of all these facts that uh, <laughs> i wouldn't have known possibly yeah but, i yeah. i listened to a lot yeah. of this music in the 90s you know and i think that yeah. was the uh, the age of i, I yeah. would say when when pop Uh, was really uh, you know predominant the up. indian pop yeah. scene was really yeah. picking up and yeah. a lot of players just wanted to you know have their presence felt in that area and i think classical musicians uh, did really a good job of that i should say because yeah, a lot sure. of the numbers that they came up with actually yeah. did very well yeah uh interesting i would like to touch upon the aspect of inclusivity in the musical form that you embody So what initiatives have you undertaken to promote inclusivity in Carnatic music considering the historical challenges in terms of accessibility for many of many of them right. across the world there have been mm-hmm. several notable figures like DK Patamal who changed uh, uh, gender biases and then Mandalin Srinivas right. ji mm-hmm. uh, facilitated this in the fusion global 
space for western right. western audiences to appreciate it and then of course mm-hmm. the veteran tm krishna uh, he right. did a groundbreaking initiative uh, in terms of the, uh, the the concert that he put uh, along mm-hmm. with the transgender community so mm-hmm. these were like some very significant strides in terms of you know right. uh, promoting mm-hmm. this so how have you contributed in terms of uh, initiating inclusivity in the realm of carnatic music right so i want to talk about this in uh, two spheres right one is uh, including the art form in yeah. its truest sense in mm. multiple platforms okay uh, that do not present this art form mm. that's also inclusivity to me right and okay. the second aspect is this inclusivity in terms of uh, making the music accessible okay to people that have traditionally not had access to it Mm. so on the first point uh, you know i i started learning vocal music at a very young age and then right. uh, it was only at probably 15 or 16 that i picked up uh, the saraswati veena mm. simply because i was mesmerized by my guru who performed yeah. a concert and i just walked up to her and asked her can you teach me and she was yeah. gracious enough to you know accept my first guru shrimati jayashree in mumbai mm-hmm. so uh, but that it it just started a very different journey for me musically just picking up the instrument what i didn't realize is until i left the country and uh, you know started performing outside india mm-hmm. uh, i didn't realize that the instrument is uh, is really not as appreciated as it should be all right so most concert venues uh, that are traditionally you know hosting carnatic music mm-hmm. would not have the opportunity would not give you the opportunity to present the instrument okay. simply because uh, you know apparently the instrument does not draw as much audience as a vocal performer all right so if you see a very typically indian classical music festival right mm. about 80 to 90% of the performers would be vo- vocalists yeah 10% of that the, the performers would be instrumentalists out of which mostly it would be violin who mm. would get a solo or a duet slot vainikas probably you could really count them mm. on your uh, fingertips so there were not many artists playing veena uh, uh, you know um, at at any scene for that matter i mean local or international but these are not things that i understood when i started learning the art form okay. i was just learning it for the pure love uh, you know love for it i i just fell in love with the instrument that's that's what it was but as as i started performing and as i lived uh, you know i lived in singapore for about 10 years um, mm. from 2005 so singapore has a very rich music scene and mm. uh, uh, singapore thankfully you know was uh, was good in a way where uh, you had a lot of veena players there you had okay. local teachers okay i learned at the singapore indian fine arts which is a residential music school it's a full time hmm. residential music school with full time teachers who live and teach there they had Lovely. at that time they had about over 1500 kids learning different art forms different hmm. indian art forms it was a huge setup it still is uh, so at a place like that the instrument was appreciated a lot more okay. because there were very few players uh, at the concert level hmm. so many a times uh, if i had to choose if 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 i applied to play a vocal concert i mean to sing a vocal concert or to play an instrumental concert i would get chosen to play the instrument hmm. it was the it, it was the other way and okay. for a long time i thought that's how the world is until i realized that's not how it is hmm. 
so even with me personally what has happened is over the years i've just kind of <clears throat> you know shaped myself to become more of an instrumentalist and try to speak the language through music uh you know and make this instrument more inclusive in the in the in the context of global music mm-hmm. and after i relocated to the us i think this has been one of my biggest eye openers i have had so many people indians who've lived here for 30 40 years 50 years come up to me and say what is this instrument i have not even seen this in my life the mm-hmm. only time i've seen this is in a picture of saraswati <laughs> holding the instrument so that kind of really put a perspective of what inclusivity is to me in terms of just just having this instrument being represented right i mean it's india's national instrument yes. half the people don't know about the instrument every time i go on stage i'm pretty sure 9 out of 10 will come up and ask me is this a sitar mm-hmm. and then we have to go about you know explaining uh, no yeah. this is not a sitar this is a derivative of the sitar this is a root instrument and etc etc and then they'll show me videos of ravi shankar they said oh we love the sitar we follow ravi shankar <laughs> so much uh, we love him i'm yeah. like yes thank you <laughs> you know i'm pretty sure he did a great job of marketing uh, marketing the instrument you know not just the music marketing the instrument in the us i think I, i don't think any anybody did as good a job as him uh, just just bringing uh, inclusivity for the instrument so i think that's something that i have personally uh, embarked upon doing in the last few years i i i choose venues where they have never presented the instrument before yeah uh, so that's that's my uh that's my effort on in making making the musical genre more inclusive in terms of how they are placing the acts right so then the other aspect also is uh, when i started teaching i had a lot of people uh, who wanted to learn the instrument because okay. you know it's very rare in south florida probably i am the only veena teacher here whoa <laughs> uh, probably that's in florida something. i don't know yeah, yeah. something so there are not many vinikas who are there are many students who are learning this they're probably yeah. learning it in other states i know there are there are many there are few teachers in in other states okay. but most of them who learn it really don't land up pursuing this as a full time uh, career mm. unless you are like uh, you know extremely talented there are a few people um, the first name that comes to me is ramana balachandran he's a teenager who's extremely exceptionally talented so mm. he is one of the few uh, i would say torch torch bearers of veena now throughout the world because he performs a lot so what i realized is when i started teaching many people came up to me and said uh, you know what we wanted to learn this instrument but uh, nobody would teach us mm. uh so in a way i think it was also very restrictive in its approach because you yeah. you associate the divinity to the mm, instrument yeah yeah and once you do that right a lot of things uh, come to play religion caste etc etc so i think that that really like i i i got very perplexed listening to that just just the fact that you couldn't learn the instrument because you were not there in terms of you know not not uh not capability or uh, financial uh, troubles or anything like that it was just that you didn't belong and so you couldn't learn so a, a lot of uh, people a few people that learned with me have been told this growing up in the growing up years so i think that also 
I think is something that is a mold that we need to break. I don't know how the contemporary scene today in India is uh, in terms of how people teach. Uh, I mean, how inclusive it is, etc. But I would really, you know, I mean, I, ideally to me, whoever is capable uh, and devoted to learn the art form should learn it. And the teachers should be teaching it. Right. Lovely, lovely note. Uh, you mentioned about divinity, right? Divinity associated with the art form. What role does God take for you? For someone like you, does it have a specific uh, shape or form that it takes? So, you know, I can almost call myself an atheist. Okay. I am. Interesting. The mm. way, yeah, the way I put this is, I am mm. more cultural than religious. Okay. So, you know, I celebrate festivals, you know, everything with the pomp and show. And uh, it's really because I want to carry forward the tradition. Mm-hmm. I want to carry the culture forward. Mm. Uh, I would celebrate, you know, uh, we'll put up Christmas trees as much as we put up a golu in the house. Mm. Or, uh, you know, celebrate any, any, I mean, we have, we have Jewish neighbors. We celebrate, we have celebrated festivals with them. So to me, uh, religion is... Uh, it has to be inclusive. I mean, to me, God is, he, I, well, I believe in something supreme. It does not have to be a shape or a form or a size, but I believe that there is something over us that basically has a control on the universe. And yes, I think it's, it's a different view to have practicing the art form, which talks so much about, uh, you know, uh, gods and in praise of God. But I think I use that as a medium of uh, just reaching a higher space. Yeah. You know, to me, if I sing a kriti one day, which it, it it to me is a lot more than meditation. You know, sometimes I feel meditative, especially when, I, when I'm sitting inside a room and just singing or playing to myself and not for an audience. It is extremely meditative. And what is that? That to me is a higher power that none of us know, right? We don't know. It takes you to that place. So I think that is that to me is what I believe in. So you've surrendered to the bubble of music. Is that what you're saying? I think you will. I think if you yeah. do that, if you yeah. practice this art form for yeah. so long, yeah. I think you eventually will. You have really no control over it. All right. Speaking of challenges, I'm sure there are a lot of challenges that artists of your gender face in the Carnatic music industry. So how are these challenges being addressed and what are some of the challenges that you personally faced uh, in this industry? So, you know, uh, I should say I have been lucky in a way, simply because I have not faced gender specific challenges in uh, in the music world. Uh, I do feel and especially being a Vainika, right? I mean, there are a lot of uh, most Veena players were women. Okay. Uh, people that also became famous, including Veena Gayatri, Jayanti Kumarish now. M.S. Amma herself was a brilliant Vainika. Mm. So a lot of them, um, you know, most of the Vainikas are women. Of course, you when you talk about the vocal music aspect of it, you will have a mixed bag of, you know, performers. But personally for me, I have not been, uh, you know, thankfully I have not been in a position where I've been discriminated because of being uh, a female performer. Okay. So, uh, though I have heard, though I have heard that uh, there have been instances in the past, and they still exist, 
in some concert scene where, uh, you know, if you're a female performer, a particular uh, accompanist would not agree to play for you. Oh, that's strange. strange. Yeah, and <laughs> it does exist. But I think it's, uh, I think it's there in a generation of believers. Uh, I, I don't think that's happening in the current uh, scene. Interesting. Uh, and also good to know that. Uh, yes, all, yes, exactly. I mean, I could be wrong, but, you know, because I do, I do see when I see lineups, I do see a lot of female representation. Lovely. You know, when I see Carnatic music lineups in festivals and my mother runs an organization, my mother runs a Sabha in Bombay. She's been running it for more than 30, 35 years. I have never seen her discriminate, uh, you know, b- between a male and a female performer. It has to be talent. It yeah. is it is talent based, and a lot of uh, sabas in Mumbai are also the same. Mm-hmm. I have not seen them discriminate, uh, you know, based on whether you are male or a female performer. It could probably be because of uh, you know other things like uh, what is your uh, demand in terms of remuneration and whether they're able to slot you in in a certain time of the year, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I have not I have not actively uh, you know seen gender discrimination at least in the bombay music scene you you mentioned that your your mother runs a sabha can i go check it out i'll be traveling to mumbai sure it's called uh, mulun fine arts society it's okay. called mulun fine arts society mm-hmm. it's uh, they don't have a campus but they run the school out of uh, my school my elementary school which is mani vidyalaya in mulun Okay. And uh, they host a lot of performances. So they rent uh, venues in and around Mulan and they mm-hmm. host a lot of performances. So last year, last year or the year before, I think was their 50th uh, was Golden Jubilee and they had a lot of mm. concerts wow. for that uh, lined up. Yeah. So I have, I have grown up listening to so much music thanks to the Sabha. I Marvelous. have, uh, you know, including Tamil dramas. They used to host Tamil dramas, and uh, I've I've had exposure to so much Tamil theater because of uh, okay. the Sava. Okay. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, you should go visit. I'll I'll I send will. you my mother's contact. Yeah, I will. I will for sure. In in fact, you know, I've been trying to plan an itinerary out uh, for Alfredo Rodriguez, who's uh, performing okay. on the twenty uh-huh. sixth again at NCPA. So I'll be right. hanging out with his manager Brendan for a week. So we're trying to figure okay. out figure out stuff to do in Mumbai. So this will be something oh, nice. to look forward to for sure because I can oh, give yes. him a taste of some, uh, you know, hardcore uh, Carnatic exactly. music also. Oh yeah. yes, oh yeah. yes, for sure, yeah. for sure. You yeah. should go visit. Yeah. And you did mention that you play a very distinct kind of veena called the Saraswati veena. So could you help me yeah. understand the different kind of veenas and how are they used for what occasions? So. You know, in the south of India, predominantly, people play the Saraswati Veena. Okay. So, uh, it's just that the Veena is made out of different wood. So, the one that uh, I play is mostly made of jackfruit wood. Uh, single, okay. yeah, single, uh, Why jackfruit single tree wood? wood. So, I believe jackfruit apparently has a great uh, resonation capability. Okay. And it uh, it's basically hollow, right? It's not too dense a wood. You right. need a wood which is strong but not too dense. If it's mm. too dense, it'll basically just keep the sound in. Okay. So jackfruit is one of the most uh, popular uh, woods to make mm. uh, Saraswati. In fact, some tamburas, most tamburas are also made out of jackfruit wood. Okay. Though the Miraj ones, which is uh, basically Miraj is a small town in Maharashtra, where they yeah. make it out of pumpkin wood. 
Oh. That has yeah. That also has a very uh, it's it's a very distinctive sound that tanpura uh, that tambura and uh, I love yeah. that I love the sound of the meerut tanpuras. Okay. But with Veena specifically, your jackfruit and then rosewood. Mm. Rosewood is another uh, type of wood. So in uh, typically in the Mysore Bangalore area, Karnataka yeah, yeah. is probably where you have a lot of rosewood. So yeah. most Veenas in Bangalore Mysore would be made out of rosewood. So you would distinctly see that. the difference in the tonal quality Tone. of these yeah. instruments rosewood is uh, doesn't uh, it has a more flatter and a sharper tone okay so i think over the years even the uh, artists that have played uh, rosewood veena have also changed their fingering style to adapt more to the instrument because it doesn't hold a lot of resonance okay so you will do, see them do more of a split kind of fingering versus uh, gamakams which are you know deep deep sounded and deep rooted and that they can hold for a long time on the jackfruit wood veena and then you have of course rudra veena which is uh, one of the most prominent veenas that you have in the north and uh, in fact i would say fewer players exist today on rudra veena because it's a it's a very difficult instrument to play Oh. it takes a lot uh, out of you physically you should go check out uh, some artists playing the rudravina the, do, you, do you have the, any recommendations do you, the dagar family just look for the dagar family they oh. have descendants who have carried forward the tradition of rudravina very well in fact i forget the name of the artist she plays at this uh, london festival every year at uh, she is one of the only female practitioners that i know today okay. on the rudravina Okay. Darbar. So check out this. There yeah. are some videos on Darbar's yeah. uh, YouTube channel on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, I was very going nice through it. some of it today. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very meditative. Uh, it's extremely meditative music. It's a very slow music. So probably not everybody would enjoy listening to that because it really puts you in trance and it's not going to give you a high. <laughs> you know, listening yeah. to that, but it's extremely meditative. So. I think that's it's also probably one of the reasons that instrument has not found a huge commercial platform. All right. But you know whoever is playing it has really done a great job of keep, keeping up the tradition. So uh another thought that just popped out of nowhere, uh guitars also have you know similar kind of wood, right? That they that right. they use for right. manufacturing it and I I imported a guitar from the states which has got like uh a mix of like mahogany and uh, okay. and like a processed kind of wood uh uh-huh. but how do these how do how does your veena fare in those weather conditions does it do well in terms good question actually aditya yeah. Yeah. yeah so i've you know predominantly since i started playing and uh, performing the instrument professionally i have not lived in india at all okay so which meant that uh, Singapore I lived in Singapore which is yeah. very warm and humid and yeah. uh, uh it it in it it's not a very good weather to have the veena in uh, trust me mm. because it uh, the, the the fret of the veena is made of beeswax okay with uh, with so it's beeswax it's a mixture of beeswax and coal mm. and it's fretted with brass frets okay so the beeswax and coal is extremely conducive to temperatures so uh in singapore which is you can get it can get really hot and there is no there's just one weather 365 days there so it was very difficult to maintain the instrument there as well the only difference there was you had a lot of technicians that used to fly in from india to service oh. the instrument okay 
So more often than not, once every two years, I had somebody to actually service the instrument, which meant that the instrument was in good condition. The issue with U.S. is more than the weather. The weather stays because Florida is as hot and humid and sultry yeah. as Singapore. Yeah. But uh, the issue here is I don't have technicians to service the instrument, which mm. makes it extremely, extremely, extremely challenging. So I have to be extremely careful whenever I travel with the instrument, even if I travel for a local concert, right? If I'm trying yeah. to put the instrument in a car and then drive it to a venue, which is like two hours away, yeah. the winner has to be, it's like, uh, you know, taking a two month old with you on a car seat. The vena has to be strapped and <laughs> made sure that nothing moves. And yeah. it's it's a very difficult task. So I think uh, that is one of the bigger challenges. Weather, of course, is. But if you have somebody to at least help you maintain the instrument on a regular basis, some of these challenges can be overcome. Like playing outdoor in summer in Florida is an absolute no-no. Because probably by the time I finished the concert, the fret would have melted. Oh, no. So can can a guitar luthier uh, also help with servicing a veena? Can they don't. So continue? I have uh, I have uh, you know that's a totally different. We could probably have a whole podcast on what the whole uh, veena makers and veena yeah. servicers, right? Yeah. So that's unfortunately that's an art form that's dying, and mm. there are only a handful of veena makers and yeah. services left in India today oh, because no. most of them are at least fourth or fifth generation. The, the person that I work with, uh, okay. Anand, he has a he has a factory in Bangalore okay. and uh, he actually makes his own Veena and he's the one that usually services my Veena too. But he is probably the last in his family, probably oh, the fourth, no. fourth generation, I think, who actually just picked this art form. His, his kids are not doing this anymore. So unfortunately, he tells me and I spoke to, I had a long conversation with him the last time I was in India and he was saying, nobody wants to learn this. You know, he said, I am more interested in knowing how he frets it than anybody else who even works at his own factory. Wow. <laughs> so I think it's, this is, this is one of the biggest problems I see in okay. the coming years because uh, unfortunately, this is the, this, this is the only instrument that I know is still completely handmade. Okay. In in the original form, right? I mean, I know most guitars are also handmade to a great extent, but then yeah. uh, you can machine make Automate, some yeah. of the traditional. Yeah. yeah, you can do that. But Veena, no. The only uh, form changes that I have seen over the years is the electric versions, yeah. which of course have, you know, there are pros and cons on the sound quality. They're, they're great on portability, but I personally don't prefer the sound of electric Veenas over the regular ones. So, mm. I mean, I think this is a space that really needs to be worked on where people are investing in creating Saraswati Veenas uh, uh, with, with a little more, uh, you know, standard process where they could probably yeah. consider having it come out of a factory environment or something like that and still keep the quality and the tonality of the instrument so i i don't know if there is any deep research or any you know any uh, thought behind this currently well it'd be nice it'd be like uh i don't know it'd be like a company that someone could start and then uh, you know take yeah it's a great startup idea if you yeah. ask me because yeah. there's a huge potential yeah. There's a huge potential. And I'm telling you, if, yeah. if we get there, there probably would be a lot more uh, people even playing the instrument. Today, a lot, many people don't pick up this instrument simply because it's it's a big, uh, it's a headache managing this, you know, actually. Yeah. It's not an easy instrument to play, to just uh, 
just carry and play somewhere you can just play probably in your own house but <laughs> yeah sure no, uh, how do you yeah, make this inclusive if yeah. you can't even take the <laughs> instrument <laughs> yeah no in fact uh, my father has a veena at home and we've been okay. trying to fix it for the longest time in uh, coimbatore oh, wow. and in a city like coimbatore it's it's really hard to get it fixed See? exactly <laughs> i yeah. i mean i believe yeah. you because i know that's the situation yeah. now i mean i've i have tried so much i've been here for 9 years now in florida yeah. and i have tried yeah. so much i've contacted so many people there are a few i don't know if you know rikhi ram rikhi ram is a is a, one of the biggest uh, stores um, you know they are a family of musicians and they own a big store in delhi new delhi and then they have a branch here right. in new york he's one of the few who services avina okay but then you know new york is Four hour flight from here, yeah, so yeah. I don't think the Vina will survive the flight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crazy. So there are so many in the south. I know so many musicians. I don't know what they do. I've tried reaching out to many, and most of them tell me that they take the instrument back to India to service. And actually, that's what I landed up doing in my last two trips to India. I just, I just decided to carry the instrument and risk it uh, to just take it there and play and come. I mean, uh, service and come back because it's I I couldn't beyond a point I couldn't leave the instrument unserviced. Got it. Uh, many artists face economic challenges especially during non festival periods so mm-hmm. how can carnatic musicians ensure economic sustainability and what role does the audience play in terms of supporting this and how can they further you know support the process right so i think uh, see a we need to understand that there are only a few practitioners left in this art form right when i say few practitioners it might look uh, the list might look huge when we look yeah. at it bottoms up yeah. but uh, if you look at it in the global music perspective global music scene perspective right yeah yeah it's a very small community actually so to make this community i mean you just have to create opportunities a so i believe anybody uh, who's a festival curator today right um, it could be anybody who is uh, curating festivals across uh, zones and not only restricting it to indian classical music can definitely look to have more representation of these musicians yeah a right that's just a festival scene on the non festival scene you have a lot of venues um, uh, so for example i i see a lot of carnatic music happening in the neeta mukesh ambani cultural center yeah yeah it is so they opened up the yeah they that opened up recently and i only see a lot of carnatic musicians performing there so i think places like those which are not festival related but which can host a lot more uh, you know not the a a great talent but also the talent that is upcoming and you know yeah. extremely good they should probably start start yeah. doing that so that kind of gives them a lot more opportunity to have um uh, revenue generating opportunities right and the other thing i feel is uh, most musicians uh, like in carnatic music they travel with their band yeah in that what it's a pro and a con you're always used to playing with a band but then uh, if you have good local artists right if you have a good uh, for carnatic music you typically yeah, the the concert scene is a violin mridangam and a ghatam right yeah, yeah. so if you can if, if you can pick good local artists that would actually give them a lot more opportunity Pretty rather sure. than somebody who has to you know an organizer who has to pay for the flight and yeah. uh, take care of everything for artists ferrying them all over from one place to the other so look for more local talent yeah 
and hire them whenever you're doing uh, you know gigs or even so small time gigs so that's a great opportunity and i think see i think what's happening is with uh, most musicians classical musicians and i think this is true even in the us i feel even the best in classical musicians most of them get into teaching hmm. because that is their i would say is their only stable source of income so it in a way it is it is good that you are able to you know um carry forward forward your legacy and you know pass on what you have learned and create a second generation of musicians but uh fortunately unfortunately it has also become a revenue source for most musicians so i think where most musicians struggle is to actually find the right balance yeah because you have you have a stable teaching career which gives you a stable income which keeps you in touch with the music but you can't have an active performing career if you are a teacher right you know if you're a full time committed teacher so yeah. it's it's a very tight rope to walk but but i believe a, a lot of them are trying to overcome that they're trying to give it their best at teaching best best at performance yes. as well yes and then you talk about having work life balance too right so <laughs> yeah 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 that takes a toll i can imagine it takes a toll it i mean i, I can see myself i yeah. since i started teaching yeah my weekends have are not for me anymore and i yeah. worked a corporate life for 16 years where yeah. all i did saturday sunday was nothing to do with work <laughs> now i don't have a day i i mean we have i have to force myself to take the saturday off and not schedule anything because being in the entertainment industry your weekends are always blocked because yeah. that's when most of the shows and the performances and everything okay. happens and if for me i have a family i have a daughter to look after so yeah. everybody is you know looking up to me to spend time with them during the weekend so it's it's a very it's a very difficult thing to do right i mean if you ask me so in a recent conversation that i had with an rj from uh, all india radio goa she was a highly accomplished hindustani musician and i learned okay. that her program was well received uh, it was on indian classical music with q and a mm-hmm. and all of that uh, it mm-hmm. came to an end the week later right it got me thinking about the challenges faced by curators like you said in india in terms of preserving these musical traditions creating comprehensive mm-hmm. systems in terms of opportunities for the youth based on sheer merit and talent right right and mm-hmm. popularizing this particular genre many articles highlight the concerns that curators are losing touch with the essence of these traditions so could you throw some light on that it's an interesting observation i mean i have lived with a curator <laughs> my mother who has curated so many festivals and events over the years and to me there is always a challenge of balancing economics with yeah. with you know with talent yeah so i have seen that uh, i have seen the back side of it and i know you know how much she wants to do she wants to service the community as well in terms of arts you know just bring new yeah. talent just bring many many new practitioners who are also trailblazers in some way and still make sure that tickets get sold right because ultimately yeah. you are in the business of it whether we yeah. like it or whether yeah. we like it or not so yeah. i think that's a challenge across everybody faces this right it's not only uh, indian classical music but it is in terms of how audience approaches it i think it is 
I still see uh, there are only a few concerts uh, okay. where teenagers or uh, I would say the twenty somethings flock to in terms of Carnatic music. Okay. But uh, not many concerts are well attended by the younger generation, even today. If uh, say an artist like Mahesh Agarwal is performing Carnatic music on Jio Shred, that room yeah. will be filled with teenagers and twenty somethings. Okay. But if it is somebody else practicing the art form in the real tourist sense, yeah. Uh, yeah. the the only exception probably I see nowadays is Ranjini and Gayatri. These sisters have probably managed to really draw a great mix of audience. Even when they tour in the US, I see a lot of youngsters yeah. attending the concert. Yeah, I saw a recent so, video where it was all uh, house full. Yes, I mean, it was probably last week or so. Yeah, yeah, they have had yeah. sold out tours. Yeah. They performed to ten thousand audiences in Bangalore, which is yeah. huge. I think yeah. which is huge. You know, you're just talking about pure Carnatic classical music. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of youngsters in the audience. So. they i think they've really done something right and well because they the, the way they are able to reach out to the younger generation very few people have been able to okay. and uh, it's basically just the the prowess right i think they're very brilliant in how they present and perform and i think that has appealed to a lot of the youngsters today i think they're, mm. they they want to if you want to look for something more yeah. right you basically attend the concert i think that's mm. that's probably what it is and if unfortunately not many of you know many of us can do that because not everybody is exceptionally brilliant and it takes yeah. a long time to get yeah, there so yeah, yeah. it's a lot of years of practice and dedication to that art form to be able to reach that level where you are able to attract the crowd which is so good unlike i feel you know in many other genres where many mediocre uh, performers actually attract huge crowds yeah yeah i mean i was having this discussion with my friend uh, you know it, it... at least in today's industry you can be an average musician but yeah. you know you can have great pr and uh, of sponsors course. sponsors on board yes. and <laughs> oh yes oh yes oh yes yeah. tell yeah. me about it tell me about it a lot of people even even in the west i see many 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 mediocre performances but yeah. it's just that it, you know that's uh, that's what i'm i'm also learning as a part of my masters at berkeley <laughs> is how to manage uh, your career right uh talent is only one aspect of it talent is not everything yeah you need a lot more to be able to generate um you know that kind of audience and make a career uh, like a, a fruitful career out of it yeah i'd like to touch upon the aspect of performance so isn't there a risk for you being a classical musician or any musician for that matter when they perform the same piece frequently in kacheris it's like doing it automatically and they might get that formula and not fully invest themselves in every performance how does it work mm-hmm. for someone like you so see one thing aditya is uh, carnatic music per se right i will uh, restrict this discussion just to carnatic music because yeah, that's yeah. what i'm trained on and it's yeah. a huge repertoire yeah so huge repertoire so you can probably go without repeating for at least at least 40 50 concerts yeah if not more you know depending on how much training you've had or how much you know you've accum- accumulated over the years yeah but the repertoire being huge the audience is i would also say audience is partially to blame here because mm. i have attended concerts of uh, cnitya shri mahadevan or sudhara gunadan where okay. they have been 
uh, you know, they have presented many, many, many new songs, and mm. they make a good attempt to present different classical compositions every time they go on stage. But at the end of the day, at towards the end of the concert, there'll be like chits passing, going through from the audience to them, saying, "Can you sing this? Can you sing yeah, this?" Request. Because they want to. Tell yes, <laughs> you want to hear yeah. those popular compositions. Yeah. Yeah. So no matter how much the artist is trying to break the mold and present yeah. new genres or new songs, yeah. they they repeatedly keep getting requests to sing something over and over again. Mm. So it's a very difficult again. It's a very difficult tightrope to walk. But I think uh, it, just the genre itself, right? Like for example, varnams uh, is a very uh, the, the standard composite the standard uh, learning aspect of any Carnatic music is a varnam because that. it's it's not very elementary but it's not too difficult to it's somewhere in between right in terms of how when yeah. you learn it when a, a learner is presented to learn the varnam this the varnam itself right you i'm pretty sure there are over 4 5 000 varnams mm. but you will only hear a certain varnams in the concert scene okay. that's because the audience has also built uh, you know familiarity with these varnams over the years yeah so that means that the 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 onus is now on the performer to bring about these un, unearth these compositions right Correct. so a lot of carnatic music curators now are actually doing uh, say uthkad venkata kavi who's a very well known composer from okay. uh, you know the 15th century he he composed a lot of rare kritis so a lot of uh, chitravina ravikiran's uh, school his disciples okay they basically took took on themselves to create a repertoire of his kritis and put it online and have recordings of his with the notation so that anybody that wants to go listen to and learn you can actually go to their website and check it out it's amazing they have some huge list of compositions there okay. so there there are festivals that are curated specifically so you have a papanasham shivam day which means you are only going to be presenting comp- compositions of this particular composer All right. So you have you have festivals that are curated mm-hmm. within the Carnatic community that bring about these rare composers. Nice. So it is it is good, but it's just that I think it doesn't happen throughout the world. Like I know I, I saw recently I saw a lot of uh, Muthu Swami Dikshitar Day being organized here in the US. So that's I mean it, it usually goes around their birthday or their you know the Samadhi Day of the the saint, but. Uh, yeah so there are there, there are i just i just uh, uh, wish that there is a lot more on that happening because that's the only way the kids or whoever is practicing the art form will be forced to also look for these compositions and learn more yeah, yeah. how sensitive are you to the responses of audiences while you're performing uh, you know that you're playing the veena perfectly and yet the audience isn't responding the way you want them to do you tend to change it a certain way so that the audience can relate better for sure for sure i think yeah. you know you always draw energy from the audience mm. right and i think the venue also makes a huge difference if okay. it's a closed venue i think the interaction that i've personally seen a closed venue has a lot more interaction than an open venue okay okay at least for carnatic music because it's a very intimate art form yeah. right it's not something that's sung at a arena where you have millions of people dancing to what you're doing and it's engaging but it's engaging in a very different way so i feel that uh, in a smaller environment i can gauge the audience reaction very well okay and i can tune it you know to what they want to hear more it's usually the case i mean we, if they really are very uh, involved then i would mm. 
just throw in a number that they would probably want to hear suddenly you know it's a like a very uh, famous uh, song yeah. or something yeah. like an alepaide or something like that okay but then uh, in open venues i think that's a challenge because sometimes you the audience is there they're reacting but mm. it's just that you're not able to hear them well Okay. because there's too much happening sometimes and yeah, especially yeah. when i played outdoor festivals in the us that's one challenge that i've seen the venue is too big so i mean i know they are involved but i'm not really able to gauge because i i feel a bit disconnected at mm. open venues okay. so at that time i'm really not able to gauge and yeah. then uh, change my repertoire but in more intimate setups i think yes Uh, you recently became a 2023 voting member at the Recording Academy, and you have won several, many uh, national and international awards. How important or how useful are they in terms of you know these honors, recognitions, good reviews, write-ups in the press? How important are they for you? I'm sure at some level, the pure musician that you are might need gratification that you know you do your job well. but functionally you run your own music institution kaladanam and you have mm-hmm. a lot of other aspects in the samsara that we all live in and deal with mm-hmm. so it could prove to be useful in some cases so what's your question again aditya so my my question is how important are honors and gratification for someone like you okay so see i think as musicians right or as creative people yeah. we live for uh, <laughs> we live for the clap you know yeah. right that yeah. that is that is what you you live for the appreciation because that's yeah. something that gives you the boost yeah to keep continuing what you're doing yeah having said that that does not define your music yeah right so every audience is different every there are some that would really resonate with what you've done on stage there are some that might not but that doesn't reflect on you as a performer but uh, every every creative person is looking for that appreciation let me tell you that <laughs> if they're telling you that they don't then it's it's no it's a lie mm. because you live you live you are performing because you need that appreciation you need somebody to listen to you and give you a feedback good or bad both yeah so to me i think putting carnatic music out there uh, especially with my role as a voting member in grammy uh i am my aim is really to just encourage more carnatic musicians to submit music to this platform okay because today there is you can say there is almost no representation almost hmm right so well the the plan is to actually have a, an entire category dedicated to indian musicians hmm if possible at the grammys because if you see how latin music has evolved over yeah. the years right they yeah. started with one category added few more and now they have their own grammys yeah latin they have grammys. their entire yeah. grammys they have their own yeah. grammys yeah so it has only happened because somebody has sowed the seeds and they are able to you know generate that momentum and start the movement so and i don't know if this has probably not been the focus of many musicians indian musicians yeah but i see a potential there i see a potential and i really want to explore that in the coming years to see if we can so grammy started a new category called uh, african best african music uh, best african music performance this year yeah, in the yeah. 2324 season yeah. and this was the first ever time you know africa is a huge continent there's so many so much amazing music coming out of there and to me 
they were being clubbed under this genre called world music genre which mm. everything that does not fit the bill in terms of classical r&b pop uh, yeah. you know gets gets into world yeah, yeah. which includes karnataka hindustani you know pop yeah. from india anything you name it and it's there but uh, it, it's very unfair yeah? it's very unfair there is so much good music happening uh, in asia in africa so if grammy and i think grammy is uh, the academy is really becoming they're they becoming aware of this only in the recent past yeah i don't think there was any awareness before this i think they have started becoming a lot more inclusive in their approach on how they even uh, select voting members right because that's a representation a grammy is uh, until until few years ago i had no clue that oscars and grammys were completely chosen by members of the academy of the respective academy the motion pictures academy who chooses the oscar winners yeah. and the recording academy members that choose the grammy winners yeah i mean right from the first stage right i never thought it was a voting process i always thought there was a panel so but we are the panel here <laughs> so that means that if the panel does not listen to a kind of music that music is never going to have a representation oh no <laughs> <laughs> right so i am yeah. one of the very probably very few carnatic musicians on the panel i mean i don't know of any if you come across any let me know but there are a few mixed there are yeah. fixed uh, mixed musicians who also yeah. are carnatic musicians but yeah. there are not many so i'm pretty sure if there are not representatives on the panel then there is no representation happening for the art form itself yeah maybe so fundamentally maybe lack that of needs awareness to change. yes yeah. yes yeah. exactly that's yeah. what it is and many people have told me this i mean even with the album that i submitted this year you know many people told me oh my goodness what is this music i have never heard this before Hmm. it is so uh, meditative it is so it transforms you it's it's you know i mean and they can tell this to someone like me i'm guessing what would happen if they actually listen to the yeah. real stalwarts and yeah. you know the real the, the amazing musicians that we have had in our country so yeah. it's just that we have not built representation for this uh, aditya and i really feel that there is a huge ocean there to cross and there is a potential and there is a market so are you are you usually scouting for people that you'd like to recommend or can they reach out to you if if yes how can they reach sure, out sure please reach out yeah. to me please reach out to me i can help you submit uh, you know i can help you submit your work to the grammys when this is my first year of course yeah. so you know i didn't have the opportunity to reach out to many people but yes please if anybody listening here uh, you know has original work original music uh to submit please reach out to me and we can definitely build a representation for the community at the grammys lovely lovely it's great to see you spearhead this effort and i'm i'm sure uh, over the years it's things are going to change hoping for the hopefully, best hopefully i really hope and i i yeah. i really hope with this whatever you know we have more voting members who are from yeah. this fraternity and yeah. more uh, representation from this fraternity which i think only then will can we bring about a change You run an institution called Kaladanam where the ideology is seva through vidya and you've mm-hmm. been meticulously working in terms of raising funds for a lot of social agencies improving lives for special kids and you've raised nearly 65k USD which I read in your press release mm-hmm. till date which has been part of your mission so how do you go about achieving this feat and is there any specific strategy that you followed to sort of hit hit certain numbers So uh, it's a good question Aditya I began Kaladanam uh, as a very small effort uh, okay. way back in 
2017 i think so i was i still had a full time corporate job at that time and i started because uh, it was a very selfish motive i wanted to teach my daughter carnatic music yeah. and the only way she would learn was if her friends came on board and learnt it with her all right so that's really how it began okay. and uh, i started with her and a few kids of her age with the first batch in 2017 and then the word spread and then you know people started asking for more and more again there are not many teachers in south florida i think that's also another thing there's just one one yeah. or few more uh, there are a few more not yeah. many but uh, yeah. there are not many unlike other states so there is a huge demand here for uh, teaching mm-hmm. carnatic music so i started very small and uh, i have uh, you know my gurus have always encouraged me to teach mm. because uh, they felt that that's one way that you will also develop more knowledge on the art form because when you yeah. teach you you want to understand that art form a little more deeper mm. and uh, you would want to uh, you know translate what you have learned to an audience that has no idea of what this is right so you're yeah. really breaking down the process step by step which uh, you're not doing while you're learning and uh, for more intuitive learners like me i basically i learned it because i was able to learn it internalize it and reproduce it so i never broke down the process uh, you know systematically when i learned it yeah but now to an audience that has uh, most of my kids have no exposure to carnatic music at home right so mm. they don't understand where this is all coming from i had uh, my mother was totally into this so i knew i kind of knew i, yeah. I don't know how but i somehow knew what it meant when i was really young yeah. Yeah. but that's not the case here so i started it like that and uh, my only uh, aim with this whole teaching project was with uh, i i didn't want to um how how should i put this i wanted my teaching efforts to uh, generate a more meaningful uh, you know response so i always wanted to see that if i could uh, i've i've always been involved with a lot of these uh, you know ngos in india since i was very young so mm-hmm. even even working with the local lions club and the rotary club and things like that growing up in mumbai uh, there was always i believe like a philanthropic side to me even when mm-hmm. i was very young Lovely. and uh, i wanted to translate that uh, using i want to use music to make an impact in that in that space so my husband came up with this idea and he said why don't you start teaching and then you know we'll just donate whatever i i wanted to teach for free first wow and then i said uh, you know let's let's just start the centers for free he said why don't you just start something and uh, we'll donate all the money that comes so mm. you know it it really started off as a dinner table conversation and we've always wanted to like me and my husband always always used to you know say at, at 40 we'll retire and go back to india and start an ngo <laughs> and both of us in our 40s now we're nowhere close to that but uh, at least i think this gave me uh, a window to what i was looking to do in my life and i think music made enabled it mm. so when we started it was very small i started working with people that i know uh you know that are uh, working with ngos that are in desperately need of funds and they're very small you know they're so small that they have no marketing budgets no money to do any canvassing so it's basically just uh, you know creating and go fund me was there but some of the indian platforms that we see now were not so dominant at that time 2017 was when the microfinancing uh, uh, scene in india started uh, becoming bigger 2017 18 yeah. so that also helped me so i started you know creating campaigns for these guys on the website like you know go fund me equivalents in india give let's change k2 some of these uh, crowdfunding yeah, platforms yeah. 
and uh, there is a there is a structural element involved here as well because you are uh, you know directing money <clears throat> it's it's foreign currency into the country and yeah. you have a lot of regulations in india Correct. while doing that so i'll have to work only with organizations that can accept foreign currency donations and they need to have the paperwork uh, to be able to do that that's a challenge but then that's something so all this i figured out only much later the intent was there but i had no no way of determining how to go about this i think it started with one organization and then i used that to you know kind of slowly build connections with other ngos and kind of decide a process and now now if if somebody comes to me i know what questions to ask them first you know initially we got into the process we even got to uh, you know set up a fundraiser and then we realized that they don't have the uh, uh, how do i say they don't have the means to accept foreign currency so which means we'll have to work through to uh, you know uh, make sure they get the money so this this is a it's it's an ever learning process i would say but then the the very good thing has been that we've been able to support i think about 14 or 15 small scale ngos now in the last 5 years marvelous marvelous incredible among all the incredible things that you do you've had a very long long and distinguished career that still awaits you in the changing external environment with a lot of globalization of culture glamour short attention spans what kind of ambition aspiration and future do you see for yourself well if you ask me i have not even begun yet to be very frank okay. i just think i am i've just started to you know do music full time Yeah. It's been probably 3 or 4 years and uh, I believe it's a long way to go uh, but my aim is really to create a space for this art form globally. Incredible. Just make this music heard uh, yeah. have more people listen and appreciate this art form which I think has some really deep rooted meaning of and meditative meditative effects because uh, yeah. especially as you see like you said the short short format content or short content format yeah is is really killing mm. many many good art forms like this right so there yeah. is you cannot consume classical music in a short form format right right now speaking so, of short format uh, content i stumbled upon some interesting fusion jam collaborations on youtube and i think that was an element of surprise for someone like me seeing a purist like kavita jayaraman <laughs> going to explore fusion music <laughs> which is ordinarily yes, i've played i've played blues yeah. on the veena <laughs> exactly so it's, it's it's moving out of the pure domain of carnatic music yeah. making yeah. something meaningful out of it yeah so like i said right i think the training yeah. it's just the training when you yeah. train in a classical art form maybe indian or western yeah. it grounds you with the grammar and it makes it very seamless for you to move genres Yeah. because you have the fundamental understanding of shruti laya tala which is mm. which is which is what music is right yeah a combination of seven or 12 notes as we could say and rhythm so if you understand the grammar well and if you know what to do you just need to change your aesthetics to represent music in a certain art form but it's all music to me mm. it's all music so and if if i can if there are people listening to more uh veena because i play blues mm. or attempting to play blues right i mean i don't play blues that was yeah. really <laughs> a one off attempt but if i built 10 more listeners for yeah. this instrument then i think i have succeeded in what i was trying to do 
You're currently pursuing your academic degree at the Berkeley College of Music in the States and you're doing a master's program in music business is what what I gathered. Mm-hmm. It's sort of unusual for a practicing educator and a performing musician to go into the academic study of music business. So what prompted you to do that? You were already so immersed in the practicality of it by playing your music. Why go and read books and theories about it uh, when you're already creating music and other people could possibly build theories from your music? <laughs> Good question. I uh, you know, I think when I quit corporate life in 2019, I started yeah. feeling a void <clears throat> because uh, I was always uh, 200% occupied. Yeah. Right? I always yeah. had too much on my plate. Then suddenly one day you were only 100% occupied. Mm. And that feels totally empty. <laughs> for a normal person it would just be normal because you still have stuff to do for 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. But to me that felt oh my god I only have stuff to do for 24 hours and I can still sleep like 7 or 8 hours a day. I'm missing yeah. out on something. Yeah. So I think that uh just the urge to keep doing more it led to multiple things i think it started with my enrolling with the indian raga yeah fellowship in 2018 yeah. and one thing led to the other and uh, you know i slowly transitioned from being the only stage to a stage come digital musician and mm. uh, eventually i really thought that we should uh, you know there has to be a platform um, there has i have to present this music digitally as well because i see a potential there Okay. So that led me to, you know, if I have to present it digitally, it meant that mm. I have to learn the tricks of the trade. Mm. And uh, I was I was into financial analytics in my professional career, so which okay. I I was always thinking about it analytically, you know. Mm. The music element was always there, but I also needed uh, something to think about in terms of analytically how to go about this so which went you learn how to decipher the algorithms i started looking at trends i'm so used to looking at spreadsheets <laughs> i started downloading everything all the analytics on youtube and instagram yeah. and facebook and start looking at what they are telling me right yeah so yeah. all these i think it it i got so interested in the back end of what mm. is happening there that i wanted to learn more yeah so i just i just wanted to get into some certification courses and things like that but then i realized i mean i actually if not now then when right i mean i don't have a masters i never had a masters yeah. i just did a bachelors you know went to the singapore started working and then life life took a turn from there so and i never wanted to do an mba somehow i was never inclined to do an mba ever yeah yeah so i thought i think this is the best amalgamation of what i want to do you know professionally and personally and something that also interests me so i just applied and uh, i didn't actually initially i didn't get through so okay, okay. i had to kind of really fight my way to oh, get okay. through this right. yeah because uh, multiple multiple reasons but mm. uh, yeah when i got through i i really felt and see once i got through is when i realized that what i was missing okay it's not the uh, it's not that i just want to read about it or something i mean just the sheer amount of wealth and knowledge that you accumulate by talking to some of the professors mm. uh, at an institution like berkeley is immense i mean you will come out of the experience a very different person you know you will not be the person that you went in for sure Okay. and that is definitely going to help uh, you know somebody who wants to make a musical career whether for yourself yeah. or if you want to enable somebody make a music career okay for both you can apply the the entire concept on you or even enable yeah. or i can even choose to like you know 
maybe work at a label or something like that. Mm. That's also an option that wow. I can look at to do, you know, professionally in terms of or create an own label and manage a few artists. The the opportunity is endless, right? I mean, I can I want to have a structured career too because I I think I'm so used to having a structured career all my life. Yeah. I I'm thinking that way. Yeah. that i want to have a structured career but something that gives me a little more flexibility so today if i'm going to go to an artist and say you know hey i can manage you uh, i don't know if they might really trust me that i can do the job i yeah. think i can do it yeah. but then if probably i go with a degree they might at yeah, least look at it and say you know what okay credibility i think yeah. she brings something to the table here yeah. so nice. so i'd like to come to the last part of our agenda which is the rapid fire i have five oh, quick wow. questions and uh, Let's see how you do in terms of the rapid fire. Can we get started? <laughs> okay, now this feels like coffee with current hot. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that. Nothing like that. It's 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 just it's just the title, but uh, it is a it is a rapid fire for musicians specifically okay, tailored for awesome. musicians. Yeah. The first question for you: What is that one song that always makes you cry? Oh, this is uh, this would be. Uh, uh, the chinmay's debut song from that movie kannatil muttamittal yeah it's the title track of the song ninjil jinjil jinjil yeah that's yeah. the it's a beautiful beautiful song on the contrary yeah. what is your favorite guilty pleasure song lady gaga okay which which particular song by lady gaga i love you and i okay Right. Yeah, not something that a Carnatic musician would listen to, but that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, contrast. Yeah. If you had the chance to put together an all-star uh, dream Carnatic ensemble together, who would be in it? Oh wow! Tough one. i could even include people that are no yeah, longer yeah. there any any era you can pick people from any era yeah okay then it should be ms ama for sure mhm mandolin ji okay and then lalgudi jayaraman sir wow. on the violin okay uh who for percussion we could even pick somebody from contemporary padri satish kumar i really love his uh, okay his uh, playing him mm. and uh, who else i would have jayanti kumaresh for sure for veena mm. so yeah so one while in veena vocal yeah i think that's about it awesome what are the top 5 must haves for a carnatic musician to start their career um uh, discipline mm. a i think that is any classical art form i would say yeah. not only carnatic music yeah and the training the training of course and the yeah. discipline yeah. both require a lot of rigor i mean you have to have the rigor if you yeah. have to pursue it professionally right i mean if you want to learn it for your own purpose it's a different but discipline yeah the rigor and uh, patience mm. years of the training learning and be willing to submit yourself How, how how about uh, how about being tone deaf would would they still be able to figure <laughs> it out <laughs> well maybe over the years you know okay. sometimes tone deaf doesn't mean that you're not able to hear you've just not trained your ears to hear 
certain sounds so i think if you train well with a good guru yeah. uh, if you have a good teacher it can make a huge difference got it so one last question which is a custom in all of my interviews so here's a question for you down in the distant horizon what would you like to be remembered as somebody that uh, contributed to the field of music in a very meaningful way marvelous that's a great answer for a closure uh this interview is going to be additionally aired on big fm shillong 92.7 and uh, no sorry 98.3 and 92.7 big fm aizol on the sunday prime time show between 5 to 6 pm and it'll also be on my youtube channel aditya veera 1994 and will be streaming across all major audio streaming platforms very shortly and i'll be sure to share the link once the interview is out uh thank you so much for tuning in but before we sign off i'd like to play a sneak peek of some of your music for our audiences uh you know before we sign off today oh wow thank you so much aditya i really enjoyed having this conversation with you likewise likewise uh it's i don't know it's been so much of knowledge gaining mostly for me <laughs> and uh, learning about all the incredible things that you've been doing and probably i'm a little more motivated to sort of uh, you know contribute towards uh, music the way that you do aspire uh, you know aspire to be at least half as uh, motivated as you yeah thank you it's my pleasure so here we go this is a this is a wonderful poem by uh, subramanya bharatiyar let's let's hear it sneak peek of uh, bharat desam by uh, it's a poem by uh, subramanya bharatiyar would you like to add a little more 
Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, Bhardiyar is one of my favorite uh, poets. Yeah. I think he was so way ahead of his times. <clears throat> you know, he spoke about some really uh, amazing topics that were. He's uh, one of the revolutionaries, I would say. I mean, let's let's just say that. And he was he was extremely good as a poet too. He was his his language, the use of language, and uh, if you understand Tamil, it, I think you should really go and read some of his poems because okay. it really enriches your thought, right? Because okay. he he provokes something inside. He he picks your brain and makes you think. I think that's what Bardiar is. And I've been a huge fan of Bardiar poems since I was very young. So we had the Samal Shangam in Mumbai growing up, and we used to go perform. uh bardiar song so my guru in mumbai shrimati saraswati subramaniam okay uh, she basically tuned the song so, oh, and lovely. she tuned a lot of other bardiar compositions to she she set it to okay. tune and we would kind of go and perform it at competitions while we were young and uh, we used to win a lot of them so a lot of them are actually tuned by her and some are very rare like not not many like even bharata desam i don't think many people sing this song uh, mm-hmm. as much as they you know sing the other composition so i think that's a that's a good repertoire that probably should come out and hopefully one day i can turn it into an album let's see marvelous marvelous just keep inspiring us thank you so much once again it's been an incredible blessing honor and a privilege thank you so much kavita my pleasure rajesh it was really lovely talking to you likewise likewise you take care and have a nice day i'm not going to take more of your time bye bye <laughs> no worries bye bye <laughs>